Hello and welcome to Big Ideas Into Action. This is WRI's podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton. And in this episode, the big idea is energy resilience. Think of Texas. First in February, freezing weather hit. Then the state's energy system completely failed. The system really wasn't prepared for the extreme cold weather conditions and it resulted in extended outages. So what can be done about this and what can be learned from elsewhere in the world? Places like India, which is turning to clean energy solutions as it struggles to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. The output from thermal power plants dropped, the wind energy production actually increased and it elevated the energy situation in the state. All of Texas is facing a extremely dangerous winter storm in the coming days. That was the governor of the U.S. state of Texas, Greg Abbott, warning citizens about the freezing weather they were about to experience. Every part of the state of Texas will face freezing conditions. Meaning that includes all February's cold snap was ferocious. Ice, snow, weather that Texas was simply not used to. But there was a further complication when much of the state's power system failed. Here are two state electricity officials on the challenges they faced. Customers should be seeing, uh, you know, the light and the heat coming on who haven't been seeing it uh, since earlier this week uh, on a regular basis uh, as the uh, transmission operators take on their process to to put the power back in place. I guess guess the one thing I would add is that that there are uh, a lot of areas where people people should see uh, their power coming back on. The situation in Texas was very serious. People died, property was damaged, and many questions were asked about exactly why the state's energy system had failed at such a critical time. This podcast follows up on those questions and asks what makes an energy system resilient in the face of extreme weather events, climate change and other stresses, especially as the world increasingly adopts new low-carbon and renewable energy sources. Later, we'll hear from two of our colleagues in WRI India about the benefits and challenges they face in making energy systems resilient. But first, let's take a closer look at what happened in Texas, why it happened, and what can be done to prevent similar scenarios happening again. Here's Laurie Bird, the director of WRI's US Energy Programme. There was an extreme weather event. They got a cold weather system that went through Texas that was very extreme for their weather conditions. So lots of icing and and snow and cold weather that that impacted the grid. They haven't had weather like that really for about a decade. So the system really wasn't prepared for the extreme cold weather conditions and it resulted in extended outages. So it was a combination of massive demand because of the cold weather and the simultaneous failure of energy generation. That's correct, yes. Um, There's electric heating in in Texas because of the cold weather event. There was more energy demand on the system, but at the same time there was loss of power generation sources. So pretty much across the board, it was all types of generation. There There were news reports about how wind was to blame for this, but it was actually a relatively small portion of the issue. The natural gas plants, nuclear plants, um, and coal plants were also affected by the freezing conditions, which impacted their ability to operate. There was also issues associated with the supply of gas to the plants. So this is really a question of resilience in the face of extreme weather. It's a question of how the entire energy generating and distributing system, in this case in Texas, can deal with such an extreme event. 
Now, you co-wrote a blog on the WRI website with five lessons from the Texas freeze, starting with protecting power generation and fuel supplies. Can you put some meat onto that? Yes, it is possible to operate plants in these cold weather conditions. It's just that typically Texas doesn't have this, this kind of weather event, so they did not spend the extra money to invest that in the, in the facilities, right? Um, and I think that raises the question going forward, if we're going to have more extreme weather events, both cold and hurricanes, fires, other things that we're seeing, we probably need to reconsider some of the the investments in the power generation units and the infrastructure as well, because we're getting these more frequently and they're more severe than we've seen in the past. You know, it's perfectly feasible to operate wind turbines, for instance, in cold weather climates. It's done in Alaska, Canada, Norway, other locations. The turbines just need to be designed for that. They can have heating, they can have de-icing, they can use materials that are resistant to the formation of ice. All of these things are done um, in other locations and they can be incorporated into the design. It's possible to do this. It's just this question of how much do you want to spend on this, given the the risk of an event happening, right? Similarly for other kinds of plants, right? Natural gas plants, coal plants, nuclear plants also operate in cold weather conditions in many regions, right? So can also protect the equipment from freezing and, and so forth and make sure that the supplies can get to the plants even under cold weather conditions. In Texas, there was a complicating factor. There was nowhere else to go because the grid is not linked with other grids. So electricity couldn't simply be borrowed from elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, is its own region and it aligns essentially closely with, with the Texas borders and it's not heavily interconnected with the with the other regions of the grid. So smaller power generation regions can have more challenges uh, dealing with these kinds of events. It's, it's a large grid. It's been able to operate well over time. But overall, I think one lesson for this for the grid broadly is that transmission and larger balancing areas can be very helpful for addressing these kinds of extreme events because you can bring power generation in from other areas. The issue I think with making the grid resilient across the US and going forward, we really need to make those investments in transmission. And what about technologies as well as storage? There's also areas like increasing energy efficiency, for instance, in how buildings and other things use electricity. I guess I would add that it is really important to look at the ways that we're using electricity and how, how customers are using it and interacting with the grid as well. And there's a lot of improvements that can be made there that can also help with grid resiliency and and reduce demand that can be helpful in these kinds of events and and overall right as we're as we're shifting towards grids with higher amounts of clean energy making them the most efficient that they can be um, is certainly critical in terms of of energy storage systems i think it's maybe a broader lesson or point that could be derived from this this incident in that you know going forward as we're increasing the amount of clean energy on the system you know, particularly wind and solar that don't operate on for all hours of the day and that can be subject to, to storm events and, and weather-related events. Storage can be very useful. We do really need to make progress on multi-day storage systems that can help manage that variability. Um, it could be hydrogen that plays some of that role. Investment in those technologies now, I think, is critical. 
Uh, here in Europe, we've also had pretty extreme weather events just recently. Uh, where I'm speaking in the Netherlands, the canals all froze over a, a week or two ago for the first time in several years, and people were out skating on lakes and waterways. And meanwhile, there were large snowstorms in places like Greece and Spain, where those things are actually pretty extremely rare. So do you think we learn lessons from events such as those in Texas, where you have an extreme weather situation, plus then you have the energy complications? Or do we tend to file them away as, as rare? And after all, they're pretty expensive to deal with. So it's best to just stick with what we have. Well, I think we're seeing more extreme weather events as a result of climate change particularly hurricanes and fires and things like that, that we do need to deal with and I think need to plan for in ways that we haven't had so much of this in the past, right? So making sure that that our power generation sources are climate resilience, uh, resilient is really important. And also I think it shows the, the need to really shift towards clean energy sources to help alleviate these extreme weather events and the climatic change that's occurring. So the faster that we can shift to clean energy sources, uh, the better off we're going to be from that perspective. And that was Laurie Bird, director of WRI's US Energy Program. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. In this episode, we're looking at resilient energy systems. Many thousands of miles away from Texas, India is used to extreme weather. Floods, drought, sandstorms, you name it. So what do the challenges there teach us about making more resilient energy systems? Namrata Ginoya is the manager of WRI India's energy program. But first, Sandhya Sundara Raghavin, WRI India's energy transitions lead, on the lessons to be learned from the impact of the COVID pandemic on the southern Indian state of Tamil Nadu. So the energy sector felt the sting of the lockdown. And uh, we could see that year on year, the total power consumption almost declined uh, around 23% in April. Uh, so during this time, we also tried to study uh, how the electricity consumption patterns in Tamil Nadu, um, how it looked like. From March to April, we saw that there was a reduction of around 40%. Lockdown definitely resulted in the closure of all major industrial units and commercial spaces in Tamil Nadu. But during this time, we also saw that renewables came to the rescue for the state. What is the main source of energy uh, energy generation in Tamil Nadu? In terms of capacity, we have coal and lignite that is covering around 33% of the installed capacity as of 2020. And uh, your uh, the renewables, which includes your wind and solar, is more than 40%. But there was a question with the resilience of this when it faced the stresses of dealing with with the, the COVID pandemic. There was a lot of transport restrictions during the lockdown, which impacted the coal supply chain. Uh, and since there are no pit head plants in Tamil Nadu, Tamil Nadu state is dependent on transport of coal from other states. And what happened was this restriction actually resulted in a lot of coal stocks piling up at the pit head power plants resulting in a higher inventory and which also remain unutilized. And if the coal is unutilized, uh, the quality of coal deteriorates and it further impacts the stockpiles of coal adversely. So we saw that the average coal-fired plants ran uh, just around about like 55 to uh, 57%, whereas a decade ago uh, in the same state, they were running at an average of around 70 to 80% capacity. And the impact of this fall off in electricity generation, because the, the coal supply was, in essence, the, the, the supply chain was failing. Uh, what, was the, what was the impact of this? 
Um, so the good part was uh, we did see, um, you know, that the renewables, uh, it came at a perfect time, I would say, because Tamil Nadu's wind generation season is from May through August. So as we saw that the output from thermal power plants dropped, the wind energy production actually increased and it elevated the energy situation in the state. Tamil Nadu's wind plants remained like a steady source of power and acted as a critical fallback option. So we actually saw that from uh, wind energy actually rose from 5%, what it was between Jan and Feb, to a peak of around 38% around uh, in the time of time frame of August. And we also saw that solar generation was a very consistent source of clean energy in the state uh, in the last year. So there it almost was producing around 1200 to 1400 MUs between Jan and September. And the solar power isn't as dependent upon the seasons like wind power. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the solar power is more diurnal in, in nature, which means that the state has good amount of solar radiation. So as compared to wind, it is much more predictable. What kind of lessons have you drawn from this about the resilience of the, in, of the uh, energy uh, generation sector in, in Tamil Nadu? This lockdown might have held like a mirror to many of our problems. Uh, it has actually shown some very encouraging solutions in terms of how renewables can help us in building up that resilience. So uh, we feel that the renewable energy sources have shown its true potential when it was absolutely needed. Um, and this we can see in Tamil Nadu. And it has actually established itself as the primary fuel of the future. Interesting. N- Namrata, turning to you, your focus is much more on decentralized, small-scale renewable energy plants, and they are quite uh, vulnerable to extreme weather conditions. Is that correct? I would say they are equally vulnerable as much as any infrastructure is, be it grid, electricity, or be it just the decentralized form of it. Basically, what we, what we are trying to say here um, is that, like grid, other infrastructure, that is the decentralized one, are also affected by extreme weather. And so when, when we say that decentralized renewables are a resilience mechanism against uh, grid failures, we also have to look at how the decentralized systems themselves will fare when a disaster strikes. India is so vast, there are all sorts of different types of extreme weather that you can get there from extreme rainfall and flooding all the way through to arid weather or storms. What, what are the main things that, that cause energy systems in India to fail or become vulnerable? We actually worked in three very different states. I'll give you examples from those three states because one of them is a desert region, which is very dry and arid. And they face sandstorms and also, you know, extreme heat conditions. In winter, they face extreme cold. And so the production of the energy itself is affected. The system itself can break down. So that's one condition. On the other hand, in the northeast part of India, which is Assam, one of the states there, uh, they face uh, floods for about four to five months in a year. And for them, it's a different kind of risk that they have to plan for. So in that case, the systems have to be on an elevated position. So those are the kinds of issues that some of the places that we have visited face. And what kind of lessons are you able to draw from your experiences with this? Uh, Certainly looking at the situation in Texas over the last couple of weeks, people have been quite surprised at at some of the things that, that happened. The spike in demand at the same time as the problems of supply, because 
different generation systems were were failing. What kind of lessons have you drawn from your experiences in India that may be relevant beyond India? I would say that uh, in certain cases, over-designing the system itself has helped them. And this was not considering climate change. Uh, This was their basic understanding that they developed considering, you know, we need to design for this because uh, in certain extreme heat conditions, the efficiency is lost and so we should over-design it. So it's like a basic logical thing that they went with. In case of, uh, you know, flooding situations as well, they know that climate change is going to affect these regions. So right now, some of these areas, basically, new areas, some of those areas which are not flood-prone right now, are considering that they might get flood prone sooner or later because of climate change. And they are bringing in these systems. They are considering, uh, you know, resilience aspect of those as well. And uh, both of you, a a question to end this is, as enormous parts of the world go through an energy transition away from fossil fuels and perhaps towards uh, less carbon intensive forms of fuel or or renewables, what are the most important things to bear in mind uh, from your experience and from your own work in terms of resilience, in terms of just keeping the lights on? While we see like the lockdown resulted in closure of, say, certain categories of consumers, I think even disasters uh, uh, like uh, the one that Texas saw right now recently also impacted primarily uh, not just industries, but also residential consumers. A lesson that could be learned from that exercise is um, uh, Texas being a region uh, which is not much interconnected with other regions. I think the interstate transmission lines or the grid infrastructure, so the resilience that would help in building a very strong and robust infrastructure would be extremely helpful and helpful in such situations. In India, we actually have the one nation, one grid, where Tamil Nadu is interconnected with multiple states. So if there is a cascading blackout, then uh, other states can help out by transferring that electricity through these long transmission lines. Considering that, I think disasters uh, actually you know, show you that mirror where we need to start thinking about grid infrastructure, especially robust grid infrastructure, which can help, uh, you know, states survive in these kind of catastrophes. So that's that's one point. The second point is there are markets, there are exchanges that are already prevalent in US. And similarly, we also are planning for a similar kind of exchange and market, which exists to a certain extent here, but the market is not that liquid. So we have uh, real-time markets that uh, actually started last year. So I think markets also help. But during catastrophes, more than markets, it's also about the actual uh, uh, you know, transfer of electricity, which is possible only if you have the robust uh, infrastructure. So one of the things that I would say they have to consider is uh, how much they want to invest right now in resilience. So developing countries right now, and even developed countries, uh, in, to a certain extent, face the sort of climate penalty. In developing countries, they were on the track to improve basic services through you know, infrastructure development. But climate change is uh, likely to adversely affect those development gains. Now they have to make a choice to spend slightly more right now to build the resilient infrastructure or continue business as usual and incur massive losses later. So it's about when do you want to invest? Finally, back to Laurie Bird. What's her perspectives on these broader questions about energy resilience beyond the types of unexpected weather challenge that we saw recently in Texas? Well, I think one of the most important things is to look at grid investments and ensuring that grids 
are designed and operated in a resilient manner and that we're making investments. There's a lot of new technologies to be able to manage grids more efficiently and understand power flows and also just expanding grids to, to really have sufficient transmission capacity to be able to reach all the generation sources. We're going to need more and more of that in many regions of the world, right? So a focus on making sure that those grid investments can be paid for and implemented is really critical in, in many jurisdictions, and it's a key part of resiliency. There's also components of how grids operate, and these have been changing as the generation sources, clean generation sources come on with different operating characteristics. So it's another key area of continued need for improvement in how markets are designed and operated to be able to ensure resiliency. Uh, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done there and lessons that can be shared across the, the globe. Laurie Bird ending this edition of WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast, looking at how we can make energy systems more resilient, especially as the world transitions to new sources of low carbon and renewable energy. There's a blog that Laurie and others in WRI's energy program wrote about the situation in Texas. You can find that on WRI.org, along with plenty more on issues like the energy transition. Podcast subscribers will also know there was a recent programme looking at why energy access is so critical to development, with insights from our experts in East Africa and India. But that's it for this programme. I'm Nicholas Walton. Goodbye for now. <laughs>